You're listening to Thinker's What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Joshua Patterson. He's a realtor with Keller Williams, and he's the co-founder and president of the Wabongo Leadership Council, a not-for-profit focused on improving the African-American community in the Rockford area. You also are hearing today with us joined uh, by Joshua's son, Alan. Yeah? Correct. And he is, what, 14 months? 14 months is correct. Yeah, because we're talking, we're talking to real-world people here. Uh, who who now, you know, we've got families and uh, babysitting issues and children running around. Uh, so today we've, we've got Alan on the podcast as well. Uh, we've innovated, I think, some toys. <laughs> we, we're trying to keep him busy. And, and so our, our toys today are a plastic cup, a foam plate, two grilling sheets. Having <laughs> <laughs> <Adding> banana. Having <laughs> banana. We, we have to apologize to Kevin Rogers, who edits our po- our podcast, because he always talks about the uh, side noise. Well, Kevin, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I feel like if there were a, a mother among us in this room, uh, someone would tell us that these things are not actually toys. Yep. But every man knows, no, 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 everything can be a toy. <laughs> well, I asked Josh to come in because um, I've, I've known him for a few years through when he was getting his MBA at Rockford University. I think I met him when he was working with the Rockford Area Economic Development council this is our 23rd or 24th podcast we've recorded and we haven't really talked to somebody who's totally focused on sales and uh, to me josh is kind of a sales extraordinaire in that uh, whenever we're talking he's always thinking of making connections with other people and how to you know make that connection eventually into a relationship that could become a sale so my first question would be you know you got into this what age i mean how long have you been in sales yeah, um, I guess formerly I've been in sales. I've had the the title uh, since I was 15 years old. I had my first job at a bank actually inside of a grocery store, uh, you know, trying to sell, you know, will and deal, checking and savings accounts. And uh, so I think I, I would claim that as my introduction into a, a formal sales role. How difficult was that do, uh, selling checking and savings accounts along with, you know, people checking out with their eggs and milk? Yeah, it was big, big challenge. You know, uh, you know, you got people getting off of work, and uh, I was in high school, so I would work. You know, the 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 evening shift, and um, you got people getting off of work, just wanting to come in and grab a six pack or some eggs or whatever <laughs> ingredient they need for dinner, and I'm in the way. Right. You know, <laughs> trying to convince them why they need to come and, uh, you know, open up a checking account. Um, very challenging and, and me being young i was yeah. actually the youngest person there at 15 i worked with a lot of my peers parents so they always made me do what we call in aisle sales okay you know going actually going into the the <laughs> aisles and you know putting yourself in harm's way wow. um so i've gotten hit by a couple carts you know and um <laughs> but i you know i think it taught me a very valuable lesson you know i'm i'm the type of salesman or anything that i do really you know, I like to make make it fun. I like to have fun with it. Yeah. And so, um, and I don't like to butt my head a lot. You know. So what I learned very very quickly um, was the store. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like, you know, people, if they feel like you're trying to sell them something, then they'll be very apprehensive and 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 you know, push back against that. Yeah. Um, so what I started to do was, you know, learn the store. Sometimes I would stand at the door and just greet people, you know, and they'd ask me, you know, hey, do you know where I can find, you know, milk or whatever it might be? And I'd say, yeah. 
absolutely. And instead of just pointing them, you know, I walk them there. You know, it's right next to the new checking account. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know. And I was able to you definitely get those, um, you know, the oppor- the window of opportunity. Yeah. You know, they would open the window instead of me trying to force it open. Yeah. And that's why I think it makes a huge difference when you, you know, for me and my sales approach, and. Um, you know, looking at people like people and being able to build a rapport and relate mm-hmm. before we start to go into, you know, um, you know what I, yeah. what my value would be. That's a pretty profound lesson to learn at 15 to build a relationship just by greeting a person, you know, and then hit them up later for, you know, you know maybe a, a checking or savings account. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I don't know if I even knew that at 15, you know, um, but it's, you know, something that I... I did, and then later on, when I got my degree in communications, you know, my undergrad degree, you know, really start to make some of those, uh, I guess being able to define what I was sort of doing at 15 sub- subconsciously. So, Have you gone through like, for, you know, the various roles you've been at, have you gone through formal sales training? Uh, Yes, yes I have, so. And how much of it did you, had you already learned, and how much of it was, was new stuff that you hadn't picked up yet? Um, I think a lot of a lot of the sales training that I've had, um, a lot of it was some of it was natural because I have so many siblings, five brothers and four sisters. Um, you know, I've always been you know an athlete on in a, in a team sport. Um, you know, so I, I think some of those experiences really groomed me in, in as far as how I relate relate to people mm-hmm. and. Um, so the, a lot of the sales training was, you know, human relations, essentially, you know, how to relate to people, how to get on people's level, how to converge, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking to somebody, um, a lot of the nonverbal cues that people give you, um, you know, coming from contribution, you know, that's a big, uh, you know, sales concept that I feel like. Uh, no matter what you're selling is is a big thing, you know, knowing what value you bring to the table. So I think the training really, uh, I think some of my life experiences kind of planted the seeds inside of me um, for for being successful in sales. But then the, the, the formal training helped define those things, formalize them, um, and helped me develop, I would say, some infrastructure around a lot of the concepts You've been at sales now long enough. I mean, that this takes us back to 2004. This is pre the internet's really starting to, to come online, and and now it's it's all a part of everything we do in business. How has your job as a salesperson, no matter what you're selling, changed because of the internet? Hmm. That's a big question. Um, p- personally. I think that it's become a lot of people talk about the internet and how it creates efficiencies in business. Um, I think for for a salesperson, I think it's become more almost inefficient. Um, and I say that because before you had very specialized mediums mm-hmm. and. Um, so it was easy to, uh, you know, you knew what demographic was looking at the newspaper. 
you knew what demographic was watching television at a certain time. You know, it was predominant. Um, there was predominant buckets. Now with 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 the internet and social media, you know, if you have a Wi-Fi connection, which you can get at a, at your local McDonald's, you know, um, everybody you know essentially has access to a, a Wi-Fi connection. Um, you know, it's 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 really um, opened up the you know the floodgates. You know, and I I personally feel like it's it's slightly more difficult um, to pinpoint which medium is the best medium for connecting with specific audiences. I mean, of course, generationally, you know, the younger generation, they're online more, you know, clearly that's very evident. Um, But even within the people who are online, you know, there's a lot of subcultures. Um, Before, when people didn't have access to everything, you know, when we say like the world is flat, um, but now it's, you know, really three-dimensional, with the fact that everybody has access to everything, you know, you see the same thing in in, in music. You know, there's so much music. Likes the blue wall. Everybody, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're gonna have to repaint that. <laughs> see, I, as long as he doesn't break something I can't afford, yeah, that's my big thing. You know what I mean? So no holes in the wall. Um, but no, I, I think it, you know, it, it, there's a, a big challenge for people in sales and marketers, you know, to really pinpoint which mediums are most effective. When we look at, you know, social media, there's so many social medias out there. So as a, as a business owner, as a salesman, which one, you know, should you invest your time and your energy in that's going to give you the most bang for your buck? You know, I think that becomes a challenge, has become a challenge for a lot of salespeople, a lot of companies, um, and so I think with the efficiencies of being able to reach so many people, you know, it's it's you know it's good. But if everybody's doing something, nobody's doing something. You know, just speaking to um, the scope of things and and how large of a of a playing field it is right now. One of the things I was reading today, um, you know, marketing two thousand eighteen, and they talked about account based ma- uh, marketing, which is more really hyper targeting using the internet to hyper target. Uh, your audience down to like a one-to-one level. But they talked about events, that events for companies is going to be even more important because it's, you know, now that so many people are online, events is going to be your best chance to meet people face-to-face. Do you ever foresee a day that face-to-face sales isn't important? Me personally, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it. <laughs> I, would have to, I would have to say no to that question Uh you know, going back to, you know, talking about social media, there's so many social medias. It's efficient to put an event on social media. And it's also very easy to click a button and say that you're going to something or that you're going to do something. Right. Um, but there's a sense of I've I've encountered a sense of slacktivism where, you know, you you have 100 people that say they're going to do something on social media or right. online. And but they're then, not. Right. But they're not. They didn't know how to tell you no, so they said yes. Right, and everybody, everybody, quote unquote, has a brand and they're, that they're managing online. Right, you know, so it might make sense for their brand uh, for them to say that they're gonna do something or mm. to put something up, um, but there's really no no commitment. They, you know, it's, it's just a click, so it's easier mm-hmm. to um, to misrepresent yourself and and, and, and your uh, commitment to something. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that 
face-to-face communication and and really building authentic relationships, you know, genuine relationships, you know, are going to be essential uh, to being successful in sales. You know, I, I don't see I don't see a day where you know face-to-face relationships don't lead to the I say the the most optimized um, relationship that you can have with someone, whether that be B two B, B two C, just personal relationships. You know, there's there's no duplication for a face to face conversation. I've always um, when people talk to me, I say if you learn sales, you'll always have a job, hmm. right? And um, you starting in this at fifteen, this is just the way you've done business forever, right? When I switch careers. Uh, you know, so I tried sales for a little bit, but for 20 years, I'm not used to people saying no, right? And so that I just couldn't get over that. Yeah. I mean, is is it is is sale? You know, is sales something that can be taught late in life, or is it is it a skill that you got to develop early? Great question. Well, I, I'm a believer, and I was told, you know, this by one of my mentors that everybody's in sales, um, even if you're an electrician or you're an engineer. Um, you're you're in sales, uh, you know, whether that's what you wear every single day to your job, what you you know what your resume looks like, mm-hmm. you know when you interview for that particular job. Um, every day you're selling yourself. You know even if you've been on the same job for ten years, you know they're looking for uh, what's your value add and how to optimize the relationship that you have right. between you know as an employee you know with with your employer. And that's all sales really is, you know. Like I mentioned earlier, the the mentality, the mentality coming from contribution, and that is just recognizing, you know, what value uh, this mutual relationship, you know, you know, has. Mm-hmm. So, for me as a salesman, you know, my my mentality is always, I want everybody to know what I do. You know, as a real estate broker, I want you to know that I'm a realtor, but I don't want to have to hound you. I don't want to have to force you, you know, or convince you that you need to buy a house, you know? So I think that's what I enjoy about the product that I sell. You know, it's, it's really about being top of mind for people. Everybody knows three to five realtors. So my challenge is when you think about real estate, I want you to think about me, you know, um, not so much as, you know, you're living in an apartment right now or you're renting right now. Let me convince you that you need to buy a house right now. One of the things you posted last week on Facebook uh, I thought was interesting, and I've heard it before, uh, is that when you eat what you kill, you're always in the field. Yeah. Right? And some people just aren't used to that. You, you know, you get in that paycheck mindset and you you get used to, you know what you're going to make every single week. You can budget. Um, when you flip that, and now you have unlimited income, but you also could make nothing. Mm-hmm. Some people can't live like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard is that? You've been doing it forever. I mean, is that again? Is that something that people can learn late in life, or, or it? You know, once you've hit a certain age, you're just not going to be able to to make that transition. That's another great question. Um, I think uh, your you definitely have to have a high risk tolerance. You know, as as a an entrepreneur that you know, that thrives off of sales. As you just, you know, mentioned, I mean, it's all commission. So you can make a hundred, you know, thousand dollars this month and you can make a hundred dollars this month. I definitely think that, you know, the 
the three things that I would say that have really uh, driven my mindset is, you know, creativity, confidence, and collaboration. Um, I think those th- those three areas, if you can become, if you can champion, you know, those three, I think that you can be successful in, in any type of sales. You know, I think the confidence and the risk, risk factor are co- correlated with one another. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, you know, because they have a low risk tolerance, you know, they they put their confidence in someone else. And that's, you know, why they go to their job every day. You know, there's no guarantee, you know, that your job will be there tomorrow. But you feel like it's less of a risk. Um, for me, with a, with a higher risk, risk tolerance, you know, I put my confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, I think the confidence has driven my mindset as an entrepreneur and um, creativity. You know, I always say that flexibility is my new normal. Um you, you just have to be uh, ready to deal with whatever is presented to you, you know, at whatever time. Um, and I think that comes with a level of emotional maturity um, and really not taking it everything so seriously um, and always being ready to pivot, you know, um, especially mentally, you know, when, you know, things are constantly being presented to me that I, you know, I woke up with, uh, uh, with three things on my to-do list, and as soon as I opened my eyes, you know, I had text messages and emails, you know, that added, you know, five or six things right away mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily prepare myself for. So you just have to be ready for whatever. And uh, you know, what does that mean? I think that's the emotional matru- emotional maturity, mm-hmm. um, and then also, you know, just being creative, you know. Um, one of, sorry about that. Uh, one of the things that me and my brother always say is, you know, success doesn't exist. You have to create it. Uh-huh. Yep. And I think that speaks to the entrepreneurial experience. What do your very brothers well. and sisters do? Uh, well, I have five brothers and four sisters. Right. Wow. Um, some think. Where should I start? One of my one of my brothers is in Germany playing basketball. Um, I have a brother who uh, a brother who's who works for the federal government as a firefighter. So the stuff that's going on in California right now or out west, he's dealing with that. Um, two siblings in childcare. Um, gosh, one that's an engineer. <laughs> so there was no, there was no one direction. Now y'all, you guys all took different kind of directions. Yeah, definitely. Are definitely. you are you in the middle? Yes, by age. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you so. think that uh, Do you think that your penchant for risk and sales and relationships? Do you think that cam- comes from having to navigate all those other relationships? Hmm. Definitely. Um, you know, I'm, I think that us us middle children. You know, we uh, we kind of. I think we always have to find our way. You know, um, there's not. You know, there for me there wasn't much. You know, guidance. Because I think my 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 parents leaned on my older siblings to provide some of it. They felt like it was my parents' responsibility. You know, then the babies always get baby. They get a lot of attention and the things that they need. And so the middle child kind of has to figure things out. And um, I definitely think that has impacted my propensity and uh, my aptitude or my appetite, I guess, for, you know, risk and being an entrepreneur. Well, let's talk about one of the things that, that you're doing, um, which is this Wabongo Leadership Council. So this is a nonprofit. 
Um, when did you start working on it? When did you guys officially launch it? And what do you do? Sure. Uh, I w- want to hit on one point, and I think it will be a great segue into that question about Wabongo. I-, I left out, I talked about three C's, and collaboration was the last yep. one that I didn't really expound upon. For uh, collaboration, one one of the things that I've learned is that a lot of people don't really know how to effectively collaborate. Um, and I, I feel like there's a lot of reasons for that. But you know, I just think that, you know, what is an effective collaboration? You know, I think, number one, there has to be an acknowledgement of what the mutual benefit is. You know, so when we say going back to coming from contribution, you know, I think you have to be, you know, as a businessman, I've learned, you know, to be, or and, and naturally, I'm, very, I'm a very direct person. And so, but you can be direct, you know, and, and still be diplomatic at the same time. But, you know, if, if you and I are, you know, partnering in something, you know, I think it's, it's very beneficial for us to be very, um, very specific and intentional about, you know, what the mutual value is, um, and then honor that mutual value. So, and I think a lot of people get so caught up on they have tunnel vision. They see what they want, you know, out of a collaboration. Um, and they're not willing to bend and flex and compromise to allow the mutual benefit to actually materialize. Um, and so f- with me, I always aim to collaborate. No matter what it is that I do, I always think, well, is there somebody or something that I can, you know, and, an entity or a person that I can collaborate with. um, And in that process is, okay, this collaboration would make sense for me because of X, Y, and Z. This collaboration would make sense for them because of X, Y, and Z. And then acknowledging mutual benefit, I can come to, to the table and say, you know, this is why I think this is important. This is why, you know, I think it's something that you sh- you, you should and, you know, and could consider. And then throughout the entire project, making sure that I honor that. So at the end of the day, when everything is all said and done, both people walk away satisfied and feeling like, you know, they did something that was valuable. So the Robongo Leadership Council, that's a, a collaborative network or association walk us through that yeah the the wabongo leadership council is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, organization that started in 2014 uh, the mission of the wabongo leadership council is to build leadership capacity within the african-american community in rockford illinois okay we have three focus areas okay. education community and economic development and health and wellness so one of the things I like to say about Wabongo is, you know, we say that we're overtly black, but intentionally collaborative. What that means is that it's not about being ethnocentric, but it's about, you know, understanding opportunities, using data to identify opportunities that disproportionately impact the black community around those three focus areas mm-hmm. and looking at the opportunities through the lens of culture mm-hmm. and also the solutions through the lens of culture and culture being the way that people experience the world. So it's about acknowledging that um, as black people, we have a unique experience yeah. in the continent of America, mm-hmm. you know, in the city of Rockford. Yeah. And um, the data shows that, you know, and, you know, we really have to empower people. You know, b- being a leader is about empowering people, you know, not hoarding power is about giving it away. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, empower people within the community that has the opportunity to be the solution to their own opportunities. So how do you how do you go about doing this? 
a big part of it is um, empowering people with information. Okay. Uh, removing barriers to access. Okay. And, and collaboration. So we, um, so we use data, like I said, to identify disproportionate opportunities. So an example of that is uh, in education. Okay. There's a disproportionate amount of minorities that graduate, specifically um, black youth that graduate from, from high school and don't go on to four-year colleges and universities. Okay. So the Wabongo leadership, we, we organize an annual college tour. Okay. Where we take we take fifty students from from Rockford from uh, from the high schools here, and we take them to different states, uh, and we prioritize and we take them, we take them to different colleges, uh, and we 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 prioritize historically black colleges and universities yeah. um, because of the culture cultural aspect, but we also take them to predominantly. Alan is finding lots of stuff to play with, more than we thought. <laughs> it's great to be there. Everything's a toy. Right. <laughs> but we, we also take them to predominantly white institutions, what they call PWIs. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yes, sir. Um, but what, what we've seen with that, you know, with the exposure piece, because a lot of the opportunities that are disproportionate within the African-American community are results of being under-resourced. So when you have... You know, when we look at the numbers of first-generation college graduates as well, um, you know, there's a there's a large number, you know, of, of African-American households where there's, you know, no one with a degree. So being able to, you know, to court your child through the college application process, the financial aid process, you know, and, and getting them exposure to higher education, taking them to colleges and universities, number one, um, might not be a priority and there might be, you know, just an, an education gap there, you know, for, for, for the parents. Yeah. So as an organization with a board who all have, you know, multiple degrees, some of us have, you know, three degrees, advanced degrees, you know, understanding, just understanding that process and how challenging it can be, make ourselves accessible to, um, you know, families who aren't, you know, uh, families of high school students. Who will be first generation college college graduates once they graduate? So it's it seems to me that a lot of these issues are are cultural issues. You know, we all everybody has their own kind of their own culture developed, right? So every every individual home has its culture, and then within that home, uh, reaching out to the the people that we ha- hang around with, you know, we and our friends have cultures, and then our friends have you know a, a, another culture, and we we tend to stay a little pocketed. Uh, in in our experiences and just think, well, this is the way all things are. And you just follow that culture and never, never considering, well, there's somebody else who doesn't even understand what you're talking about, uh, even though you're five miles away from each other, right? Right. So, you're, so you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to kind of reach across uh, into a, like you talk about, predominantly white institutions uh, to, to expose individuals to what else is out there and uh, kind of that the the world is bigger than their than their experiences. Uh, def yeah, definitely. Um, I think the the exposure is you know one of the best educational tools. You know, can be the best teacher. And yeah, and it's 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 really about you know connecting. What I always like to say is that if you don't have an interpersonal understanding of your options, you don't truly make a choice. Mm. So by exposing you know, our, the youth in our community to higher education, yeah. you know, to 
not only higher education, but the options and the choices that you have within higher education. Right. You know, historically, you can go to a historically black college and university. Number one, HBCUs exist. You know, growing, you know, growing up, you know, even in predominantly black neighborhoods, you know, like I said, because of some of the, the opportunities of being under-resourced, there's not always there's not always a knowledge base that right. HBCUs even exist. Sure. So if you don't know, it's not an option. Totally. So, but there's not the only option. So it's very important for you know us to make sure that you know that there are predominantly white institutions, and what those categor- categorizations speak to is the predominant culture and a lot of times the origin, you know, right. uh, ethnic and you know origin of the universities and, and, and colleges. So we just want to make sure that we expose our next generation leaders um, to the options that they have. You're just trying to expand horizons. Correct. I mean, we, we were talking before the podcast started, we were talking about Fred Van Vliet, an Auburn grad who plays basketball now for the Toronto Raptors. And there was a famous story about Fred in Sports Illustrated a few years ago where he made his brother Darnell, his older brother, move to Wichita with him. Because he basically said, Darnell, you got to get out of out of Rockford. You got to yeah. see that the world is a bigger place. Yeah, it's true. You know, and and if 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 you only know one neighborhood or one area, you're not gonna you're not gonna understand what your options are. Yeah, no, that's true. I think something you said that's important. You know, as far as um, you know, empathy or understanding things that aren't like you, and I think that's that's extremely important. And I think as humans, we naturally crave comfort. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of people, you know, they create their comfort zone. You know, you go to church here, you go to school here, you go to work there. I, I read an interesting thing about categorization uh, and, and essentially that the that there's you know millions of potential things that our minds come into contact with every day. And if we were to process every single one of those things, we would be overloaded. There's not enough processing available in our minds to make sense of all the information that we have. So our brains aren't really identi- aren't, aren't really there to make detailed sense of things, but really to quickly categorize and move on. So this a lot of studies have been done about cars and motorcycles and why you know why do motorcyclists get hit and even even though that many many of these situations uh, the motorcyclist who you know ran into a car says the 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 the, uh, the person who's driving that car was looking right at me and the guy who's in the car says no, I didn't see anybody and what they find is that the reason people hit motorcycles is because they don't have two lights they don't look like cars and you think you're going to see the thing that stands out but you don't you only see the thing that you are used to and the thing that you're looking for so mm. when it comes to i think ca- quickly categorization of cultures even we see the thing that we know we see the thing that we're looking for mm. and then we cl- quickly disregard not even meaning to sometimes mm. we click quickly disregard the thing that we don't have time to process in the moment because mm. we don't understand it mm. it's not what we're looking for and so it moves on out of our minds uh and and i think what you're talking about is that if you if you if you have to if you take the deliberate time mm to think about what is out there. What am I not seeing? Because you're not seeing something. There are lots of studies have been done on that. You're not seeing even the most obvious things in front of you because you're just not looking for them. You're, you're doing that, mm. I, I think, across people's lives and across their cultures and then, and then expanding that into, okay, now if there are these other things that you're not used to, what then does that mean about your future? Right. Right? Yeah, so definitely. I think I, we, we talked about this before the... Um, this idea that some people just exist within constraints and some people set constraints, mm. right? So when when was the uh, when was the United States of America formed? Mm. Well, the answer is when we all agreed. Mm. <laughs> and then to state the agreement, we sent back this letter 
with the month and the day switched around. Mm. And so if you go to, you know, the, the motherland, right? <laughs> the month and the day are switched around when you write the date. Wow. Right. So first came the agreement. And why do we still maintain this, that we're all Americans? Well, we all continue to agree. Gotcha. Right? So there, there, is a, there is something very profound about just maintaining the agreement, and that, that perpetuates the, uh, it perpetuates the culture. Mm. Right? That's heavy. Yeah. I think uh, one thing, man, you keep dropping gems, and I appreciate it. You know, when you talk about taking the deliberate time, you know, I think about, you know, the word intentional. Mm. And um, that I think that's that's definitely the case. Like we have to be intentional about expanding our horizons; otherwise, it won't happen. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's not always. You know, sometimes it's subconscious. You don't think. You know, like when you say about the blind spot or the bias that somebody that we all have. Yeah. You know, you know it's you know we don't we don't think about it, and um, you know, so we have to be, you know, intentional about what we call avoiding the echo chamber hmm. you know so if everybody around the table you know looks the same acts the same thinks the same you know nobody is going to say anything different or challenge you know or make a you know stretch the perspective right. in the room yeah and i think that's powerful you know um, when we look at um decision making bodies you know and entities whether that be in government or in business mm -hmm you know, how important that is, especially when we're talking about public, the public sector, because you're not making decisions that affect products, that just affect products. You're making decisions that affect people. Mm -hmm. And if you are looking at a decision-making body that is not diverse, mm -hmm. as we just discussed, you know, there's blind spots there. And um, I think that, you know, unless people, you know, so sometimes you'll have... Uh, an echo chamber and people say well we invited everybody you know everybody could come you know so the fact that certain people didn't and only certain people did right. that's not our fault right <laughs> and that's that might be you know that might be the case but if you change if you change the strategy but you don't change the structure did you really change anything mm, right yeah. so if the environment if for Let's just say a hundred years, let's, you know, ten years, whatever. Let's just say for for years, decades, you know, this restaurant, you know, has only serviced a certain type of person or a certain type of people, you know, just because the door is open mm -hmm. doesn't mean that other people are going to come in. Right. You know what I mean? Um, the the environment has to change. You know, you might have to, you know, change the sign. You know, might have to put a sign out that says. You might have to put a sign outside that says under new management, you know, yeah. for anybody to actually know that anything changed. There might right. have to be a... Or venture out into the community that you want to come. Yeah. You know? You know get, out, get out your door and go talk to people. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Well, we, we've, uh, I think we've almost outlasted our... Uh, our fourth person in the room. <laughs> Got you. He's, he's tiring down a little bit. He's doing a, he's, he's doing a good job. So this Wabongo Leadership Council, it's here in Rockford. How do people get involved with that? Definitely. That's a, uh, there. We have a website. Okay. Uh, Wabongo, www.wabongo.org. Can you spell Wabongo? Yes, sir. Cool. Uh, it's like bongo drum with the W-A in front of it. So it's W-A-B-O-N-G-O. Uh, Wabongo. Uh, and the word uh, Wabongo is a Swahili word that, okay. that evolved from the word Ubongo, okay. which means brain. Ah. And in Tanzania, um, in the capital of, of Dar, 
That's where they got the first university. And the president at that time, Nineri, uh, said in order to be in Dar, you have to use your Ubango. All the people in Dar at that time were people of color, black people. Yeah. And that's how it kind of evolved into meaning uh, the, you know, the black the black man is a thinking man or black people are thinking people. And our mission is to, you know, corral thought leaders around opportunities and collectively come up with solutions. That's awesome. Well, for our listeners, get involved with Wabongo. If it, uh, if it resonates with you, if you've got questions, contact uh, Josh. Uh, it, it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's also been a pleasure having your son on. And I think, and I just want to commend you here, uh, there was there was chatter with us at the beginning. You know, should we should we do the podcast with or without the you know a uh, uh, young one? And we said no. Let's, this is real life. And I think the the example that you're setting uh, in uh, you know building the culture even now with your son uh, that hey we get out and we do things. Uh, uh, I think I think that's really setting him forward on a, on a path. So uh, thanks for doing that with us tonight. Well, I, I like to say uh, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for, number one, uh, inviting me. Uh, number two, you know, being flexible as well. Uh, we, we just, you know, we talked in the podcast about flexibility being uh, the new normal. And I appreciate you all for being thought leaders and, you know, for this podcast. It's, it's, it's really important and for uh, you all avoiding the echo chamber and not just having people who look the same, sound the same, and, you know, feel the same about these opportunities. So I appreciate you all for growing the culture as well. Thank you.